Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are here. Lord, thank you that our ability to lift up our voices in worship to you is never diminished, Lord, because of things going on around us. We love you. Lord, we tune our hearts to you right in this moment. We tune our hearts to you. May our eyes, our ears, our spirits be locked in to what it has, what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. It was a summer evening, 1999. A small private plane uh, took off from an airport in New Jersey. It was a pilot and two passengers. They were on their way to a wedding in Massachusetts. And everything was going really well on the flight until it wasn't. And as they were approaching Martha's Vineyard Airport, they were over the ocean. It was dark and it was foggy. And the pilot became disoriented. And very quickly, that airplane plummeted out of the sky and all three passengers died in the ocean, just miles off the shore. The pilot was JFK Jr., the son of President Robert F. Kennedy. The passengers were his wife and his wife's sister. After that accident, the government agencies come in to, you know, to figure out why in the world did this plane crash? They were, they'd been doing fine. Uh, you know, they were just miles off the coast. What should have been a normal flight? Why did it end so tragically? And what they discerned and through many, probably thousands of hours of investigation is that they found that it was very dark and because of the haze, the pilot, RFK Jr., lost his ability to see the horizon. And what ended up happening is he became disoriented and rather than trusting the instruments that were on the you know, the, the gauges right there in front of him, he began to lean more into his feelings. He could feel that something was off, but what happens in those moments, and fortunately it's very, only very occasional that it happens, but the, the pilot can lock into their feelings rather than trusting their instruments, and what happens is they, they overcorrect, and they go in the wrong direction. And the plane be enters what is known as a death spiral. It can be almost impossible to pull out of. And in our lives, we can also enter death spirals. Especially when things are dark. When there's confusion. When we, when we sense one thing, but our eyes can't find the horizon. And we don't know what's up and what's down. And friends, I'm telling you, as we are headed into, I'm having a little, little static issue here. Technology is not serving us so faithfully today. Mark, I think I'm gonna need a handheld and just 
ditch this. Can we, can we switch over? Am I on? Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> Should we pray again? <laughs> but when life is going crazy and it's dark and we don't have our eyes locked on something and, 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 and instead of looking at the instruments in front of us, we're, we're caught in this place of disorientation. It's easy for us to overcorrect to correct wrongly and find ourselves plummeting towards our own demise. And as I look what's happening culturally at this moment and recognize that we are right now headed into an election year. Literally, 55 weeks from now, we're gonna be voting. 387 days from today. Today, in God's word, there is an opportunity for us to have some election year discipleship. How can we keep our eyes locked on Jesus? How can we find the true horizon? How can we learn to trust the instruments that God has given us, the, the gauges that he has placed in front of us? How can we learn to trust those rather than just our feelings when we, when we feel like, man, the world is disoriented and we don't know what's up and what's down and people are going a bit crazy? Because I promise you, in the next 55 weeks, there could be a lot of crazy going on. There is, guaranteed, because we've watched it before. In fact, it's in the past two election cycles that, man, we've seen all kinds of turmoil in our world and in our nation, sometimes even entering into churches where there's, there's arguments, there's accusations that leads to division, sometimes even hatred. And we see all those things going on around us, but how can we protect our own souls? Because we probably have friends, people that we know, that we've seen over the two, last two election cycles like enter into their own death spirals where the disorientation of everything going on and not finding that true horizon in Jesus, well, that disorientation led to a lot of chaos and harm. So how can we follow Jesus in times like this? And not just follow him, but maybe even create a pathway for that other people can follow him as well. We need to have our hearts and minds fixed on the instrument panel that he's given us in his word. We need to have the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking loudly to us and lock on to this horizon of the Holy Spirit. And in our reading this week, in Titus chapter three, the first five verses of, he, uh, of Titus chapter three, it really feels like Paul was leaning in to our cultural moment. Because if, it really feels like these words are written for us in our time right now. So let's listen in to what Paul says 
in verses one through five of Titus chapter three. He says this, remind the believers. Now, let me just pause on those words right there. Remind the believers. Because last week we talked about growing in God's word. And what, what did we say? What did we see Paul writing to Timothy? Paul is saying, these are things that we need to be reminded of. There needs to be that consistency of being reminded about what's true. There's so much that's not true in our, in our world. There's so many things we're hearing that are untrue, so much fake news. We need to be reminded of what is true. And so here again, we see this, that we need these consistent reminders. Remind the believers to submit, yikes, to the government and its officers. They should be obedient and ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. And he goes on. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. I mean, think about that. Jesus came to people that were just trapped in evil and hatred. And what does it say about him? But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and his love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Man, what an amazing passage. And if there were ever words that it seems like God was providing us this radical instruction and spiritual guidance for an election year, this may be it right here. It's almost as if God knew we would need these gauges in front of us so that we do not death spiral. And listen, we know that what Paul is saying here is true, right? That, that like, there's going to be foolishness going on, the world going crazy. We deeply understand all this personally because many of us remember what it was like before we gave our lives to Jesus. We know that is, you're absolutely right, Paul. This was our story. Listen, let me read, just reread one of those verses, verse three of Titus three. He says, once we too were foolish. And disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. It's like, thanks so much, Paul. Thanks for the reminder. I mean, this like reality punch, like remember what it was like before you'd surrendered your lives to Jesus, before you put your trust in him. 
But you know what? He's not just throwing shade on people. He's saying, remember, this is our story. He's saying, we, once we were to, he's like remembering his own story. That he was filled with hate. That he was filled with evil. That he was filled with foolishness. He's saying, this is my story, but you guys remember, this was your story too. This is all of our story. Paul is reminding us, remember, remember what it was like and don't be surprised when those who have not yet surrendered to Jesus, when they are not acting like they're submitted to him because they're not. Don't be surprised when the news anchors are talking like they're not following Jesus because many of them aren't. Some may be. Don't be surprised when your coworkers start wanting to battle it out and filled with anger. Don't be surprised when neighbors, don't be surprised when there are people who don't act like they're following Jesus because they're not. They're being true to their nature. They have not said, God, I need your redemptive plan lived out in my story. They have not experienced the transformation of Jesus. And right in the middle of that statement about this is how we lived, he said this. He said, we were misled. We were misled. Listen, I want you to think about this. All of us are being led by something or someone. All of us are being led. Some are being misled. And he says this, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. That idea when he said we were being misled and we were being drawn into slavery. We were being drawn into bondage. What is slavery? What is bondage? It's something, it's, it's not where you ever wanted to go. And it's something that you cannot get free from on your own. Right? Slaves don't have the opportunity to just like, okay, done, I'm, I'm out today. I'm, I'm clocking out. You, you don't clock out of slavery. It was this idea that led me to the remembrance of the experience that pilots can have of the death spiral. Being misled into this bondage, this trapped way of thinking that actually leads to death. It is so easy for us to get trapped into these wrong ways of thinking that are just destructive, unfruitful, unhealthy. And he's saying, remember, this is what we were like before Jesus. But then he goes on, praise the Lord, because he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, just remember all the ugliness and evil that we were trapped in, this death spiral we were caught in. But then in verses four and five, he says, but... When our God, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. We did not have the power to save ourselves. We were caught in a death spiral and it's like the hand of God came in and said, no, 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 not this one. No, 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 not you. 
I've got you. I have you. Not because we deserved it. It was because of his mercy. It says he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. You were saved. Like literally. You were trapped in this death spiral. Same as me. But in his mercy, because of his grace, because of his love, because of his, says of his kindness and his love, we've been saved and transformed into this new way of living. He says he's given us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Like, in other words, we weren't just saved in order that someday we would get to heaven. No, we have been saved to have a new life, a new way of living, a, a new reality that we get to now live into, a transformed life. And that transformed life impacts everything. It impacts who we sleep with and who we say no to. It impacts what we put into our bodies, what we say no to. It impacts what we do with our money and what we don't do with our money. It impacts everything. And it even impacts how we live as citizens where God has placed us. It has political implications. Now I want to read just those first two verses again, where Paul like gets real personal and up into our political landscape. But before I read them again, I want you to realize that the truth of God's word is not just true for us. This is true also today in China. The Chinese followers of Jesus under an unethical and unimaginably restrictive regime are called to these same things. Today in Israel, Christian believers, followers of Jesus are called to these same things. Those in Mexico, those in Cuba, though, I mean, all over the world, we're all called to this transformed way of living. But we're gonna be looking at it through the lens of the United States. And this next 387 days before we vote in a president for the next season. And so listen to Paul's words. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient. Always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone. Anyone, Lord. Man, some people are really deserving of slander. <laughs> they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Picking fights or getting drawn into fights. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Listen, these statements are radical and have far-reaching implications and have real-world 
implication over these next 55 weeks of this election year. And our calling as followers of Jesus is to live in these transformed ways. Why? Because we are, as followers of Jesus, to provide an alternative culture to the world around us. It's not just because Jesus doesn't want his his followers to get into fights. These are the wrong fights, he's saying. He's saying, if we behave the same way as everyone else in the world is behaving, all the accusations, all the hatred, all the divisions that are caused, how will the world, for heaven's sake, literally, how will the world, for heaven's sake, ever see that Jesus is real? And that he has power to transform hearts and lives and even cultures. How is it possible if my people are not acting the way that that I act? Says the Lord. (laughs) Now in Paul's statement, I see four key areas emerging. He says several things here, but I see four kind of themes emerge. And I would suggest that they're almost like four gauges on the dashboard of our plane. When it's dark and it's really challenging to see the horizon and we're we're questioning what's up and what's down. Paul gives us these four areas that we are to like lock onto. I'm going to just talk about each of those four for a few moments and then give us an opportunity to consecrate our own hearts for the year that we're going to be living in ahead. Four things, our hearts, our actions, our speech, and our relationships. So let me tell you how I I see these things that Paul said fitting into those four areas, these four gauges for us to lock onto. Number one is submission and obedience. Submission and obedience reflect God's transforming work in our hearts. Submission and obedience. Why why are those things indications of a transformed heart? Because once we were disobedient, and unsubmitted. We didn't want to follow no one. We didn't want to follow our mommies and our daddies. We wanted to do our own thing in our own way, in our own time. And it was like, "Mm, I'm going to do it my way. Oh, I did it my way. I mean, that was like our theme song. And then Jesus came. But Jesus showed up in his love and his kindness, his mercy and his grace, saved us, transformed us by the Holy Spirit. And so submission and obedience, it doesn't mean that we are like, we've lost our spine, that as citizens, we don't have a voice. Are you telling us we don't have, no, we have a voice. But you know what? That voice is to be used in ways that are, also submitted and obedient to the authorities that God has placed in our land who are over us just the same way 
as in China, Israel, Mexico, Cuba, all around the world. Just the same. It doesn't mean we've lost our spine. It doesn't mean we've lost our ability to speak as citizens. But it shows so dramatically that there has been a transformation. And rather than hatred and anger and like, I'm not going to submit to you. You can't make me do this. We actually come with the opposite spirit. A transformed spirit. A transformed heart that says, I am willing to submit even to people that I often may disagree with. And you're like, but pastor, those other parties, whoo, the party that's not mine. Those, those, I mean, those are like evil people, godless, heartless, terrible people. And you know what the, the amazing thing is, is that if you talk to enough people, You'll find that when people say that, those people in those other parties, you know, I mean, that, those same words are spoken by Republicans and Democrats as they look and they say, but that's evil, that's wrong. And it's like, I don't think God cares so much if we're Republicans, if we're Democrats, if you're a Green Party, if you're Purple Party. I, I don't think God like really, really cares that much about that. It has more to do with this transformed heart. Because, you know, there are things that we could find. You know, there's, there's political spectrums that, that look and they point at the evil of immorality and they say, but immorality's on the rise. And then there's people over here that point back and say, but there's injustice on the rise. And you don't care for poor people. And you don't care for the immigrant. And then there's other people over here saying, you don't care for the environment. You're not stewarding this creation that God has given us. Listen, there are people pointing from all directions and they're all saying very, very similar things about the brokenness of our world. Well, guess what? We're living in a broken world. And those who have not experienced that transforming work of the Holy Spirit, don't have transformed hearts, are never gonna be able to walk in the submitted obedience to say, I'm gonna follow until I can't. There are things that we have to say no to. There are things, there are laws. We, and we don't have time to get into this, but I mean, but, you know, pastor, does that mean that I have to obey every single thing that is, that is, you know, enacted into law or whatever? No, there are times when we're just gonna have to say no. When things are clearly, clearly indicated in God's word that that would be a violation for us to step into. Most things do not fit into those categories. Our responsibility is to obey and pray and then exercise the rights that we have in our nation, including being an informed voter and taking voting seriously and saying, God, you've given me the opportunity to express what, what, what I, I sense your Holy Spirit leading me to do in this election. But it starts with obedience and prayerfulness and then engaging the pol political system that we live in. So that's one gauge. It's the gauge of the heart. 
submission and obedience. The second gauge has to do with our actions. He says we need to always be ready to do what is good. Always ready to do what is good. Which reflects a transformed, the transformation of our actions. Because once we were not wired that way, we were sneaking around seeing what we could get away with. What bad things could we do? And he said, no, no, no. When you're, when you're transformed, guess what? Your actions are going to be different. We've been freed by the power of the Holy Spirit to do good. Let me read one other passage, what Paul said to the church in Galatia, and it says Galatians 6, 9, and 10. He says, let us not grow, become weary in doing good. And sometimes it's like, man, I just want to give up. This, this road is too long, too hard. I'm tired of doing good, Lord. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, he goes on, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. All people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So in other words, we, we, we learn to practice doing good right here as his church. We do good to one another, for one another, with one another. We do, we do it first here, but it's not meant to end here. It's not meant like, no, we lock the doors and we just do good here. No, we're, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Man, I was so proud of our church last week out on Main Street at this huge event. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people from our, our city were out celebrating open streets. And there we were, Hour after hour, dozens and dozens of you, of us. You know what we were doing? We found an opportunity to do good to all people. It was so beautiful seeing kids face painted, you know, having fun, getting free popcorn, all the things we did. And in the midst of that, beautiful conversations happening. Invitations, hey, come and... Check out what God's doing here. I don't know. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. There may be somebody here that just got invited last, last Sunday at Open Streets. Man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful. You know why you're here? Because we took this seriously just to go and do good. Do good. Because you know what doing good is? It's an indication of a transformed heart. So the second gauge we're like locked onto is God World's going crazy, but am I doing good? Am I taking the opportunities that you give me and say, I am going to do good with these opportunities? What does that look like in a political world in the United States, in Santa Maria? I'm not, I'm not sure. When's the last time you volunteered to serve at a polling station? When's the last time you, you took something you were passionate about and said, you know what, I can go knock on some doors and make some phone calls and just talk to people about that the God is stirring up in my heart and that I want people to know about. This is important. 
When's the last time you ran for an office? E. When's the last time you said, you know what, I'll let my name go forward for that? I was so proud of one of our leaders who, when there was a recent opening on the school board, said, you know what, I, I'm not sure if I'll make it in, but I'm going to let my name stand because this is important. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to do good when there's an opportunity. So let's look for opportunities. And some of those opportunities may just be like at work when conversations come up and you're not going to be the crazy one. You're going to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to be okay. God's still on the throne no matter who's sitting in the Oval Office. Listen, you know what? This seems crazy, but we're going to make it through. We're going to find a way together. Not in disunity, but let's come together. What do we agree upon? And being some of that voice of reason when there's so much unreasonable that's going on, which leads right into the third gauge where Paul says, do not slander or quarrel. This reflects transformed speech, transformed speech, that the words of my mouth are going to lead to healing and building people up, not tearing people down. In fact, just in the last weeks, we reflected on our speech. I'm not going to go too deeply into this, but I got I to gotta just share a couple of scriptures, one from Proverbs, one from Colossians. The Bible says so much about what comes out of our mouth, and some of it's kind of funny, especially in Proverbs. Proverbs 18.6, fools' words get them into constant quarrels. What did Paul just say? Don't quarrel. Fool's words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. So next time you see one of your brothers and sisters like post something online, which guess what? Those are our words. Right? And you see something, you may just say, yo, 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 call them up. Do you need a beating? Because we're not to get into quarrels. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversations be gracious and attractive. Yay. Why? So that you will have the right response for everyone. Why should our words be attractive? Remember, because we are creating an alternate culture to the world around us. Our words should reflect that and actually say, no, listen, I, want you to, I know the world's crazy. I want to talk to you about the Prince of Peace. Let me tell you about the peace that God's brought to my own heart. If he's brought peace to my heart, I know that he'll bring peace to our community. Do not pick political fights. And when possible, let us become those non anxious voices. Being people who are willing to even listen, which is, I think, one of the keys to having the right words, to having wise words, is to be willing to even sit and listen to people that we may not agree with. 
before we open our mouths, right? You've heard this. I mean, it's why God gave us one mouth and two ears, right? We should probably listen twice as long, you know, before we open our mouths with our own words and ideas. So we're willing to listen and have transformed speech. So I'm looking at these gauges, my heart, my actions, what's coming out of my mouth and what am I posting online? Are those things reflecting transformation that my savior brought, saving me out of this crazy death spiral? And the last one, last, last gauge is a gauge of our relationships. He says, be gentle and show humility. And those two things, I think, impact our relationships so greatly. So many families have been torn apart. Let me say that again. So many families have been torn apart. The statistics on how many families have people that are completely out of relationship is staggering, staggering. And so much of that has happened even in the last years, driven by politics and a more greatly polarized culture where people are, feel further and further away from each other rather than being drawn closer together. What would a transformed heart look like that is gentle? What would a transformed heart look like that is showing humility? This is why it's relational. You can't show humility all by yourself. When you're in your bedroom all by yourself, no one knows whether you're humble or not. You know where humility shows up? In relationships. You know where gentleness shows up? Only one place. It's in relationships. Whether you are harsh towards others, whether those words, whether those actions, whether your demeanor is like harsh and critical or whether it is gentle. Whether it is humble. And again, humility always is willing to listen. Tell tell me again, how, how did you come up with that idea. Why do you believe the way you believe? Why are you, why are you believing you're going to vote the way you're going to vote? I want to hear. Tell me your story. And you know what? Oftentimes, you may have to go back to when they were five years old. Why people vote the way they do often has like heritage, legacy, roots. Even where they came from in our country and where they grew up and who they grew up with and the conversations they were in and, and how their mamas and daddies and you know grandmas and grandpas voted and all these things are all tied into this. And you know what? Sometimes we're just willing to sit down and listen. Sometimes we find out that we're, we're agreed on a whole lot of things even though we may end up voting differently. Showing humility, expressing gentleness. Might God use those two things to actually keep families together? Not everybody in my family votes the same way. But man, I want to stay at the same table with them. I still want to be able to speak Jesus. I want to be able to show Jesus. I want to be the non-anxious voice in the midst of 
a lot of crazy going in our world. And I believe that, that is, those are the sort of things that God is calling us to. Gentleness and humility. When you study this in scripture, they almost always go together. Jesus said this about himself. You know, when he said like, come to me, all of you who are weary and have you, you know what he said about himself? I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm gentle and humble. In Ephesians, Paul writes and says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Meaning like, oh, I've got faults. I'm not perfect. You've got faults. Be gentle, be humble, patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Four gauges to keep our eyes locked onto because it's gonna feel like we're being drawn in so many different directions. It's gonna feel like we sometimes don't know what's up and down. It's gonna feel like really dark and can't see where the horizon is. And God is saying, keep your eyes locked onto these four gauges. They're gonna really, really help you know What's up and down? What's level? Are we acting with transformed hearts? Transformed actions? Always ready to do good. Transformed speech. Transformed relationships. Expressing gentleness and humility. I said I wanted to give us an opportunity to like consecrate ourselves. Eric, could you just jump back up onto the keyboard and we just have a moment of just reflection. Listen, we are going into a year that's gonna be challenging. Are we going to reflect Jesus in the midst of this year? Or are we going to reflect the world's culture that is filled with all of the hatred and division and brokenness that man, we used to live in before Jesus showed up? Are we going to live into the transformation that Jesus died to save us from? Or are we gonna get caught in this, this death spiral, trapped, trapped, by all the craziness going on in our world around us. Let's choose Jesus. And let's choose to be discipled by him even during an election year. Can we consecrate ourselves saying, Jesus, I wanna lock onto you. I wanna see you. I wanna hear you. I wanna be led by your Holy Spirit. And I'm committing myself. I'm committing myself over the next 387 days to not be drug off course and not drag other people off course. Jesus, I want to help people find you even in the midst, Lord, of dark and turbulent times. If that's your prayer, would you put that on your lips? I can't pray that for you. I can pray for myself. I can teach. I can urge. I can challenge, but I can't pray it for you. If this is something that is hard for you, good. 
There are times when it is hard to follow Jesus. It's easy when it's easy. When everything's good and rosy, sunshine and bombs aren't falling. It's really challenging to follow Jesus in days that are dark and confusing. So would you lock on now and you say, Jesus, I wanna follow you, I wanna follow you, I wanna follow you. Jesus, I want to reflect you. I wanna, I wanna live this transformed life. Even when it comes to our culture, even when it comes to our politics, even when it comes to difficult conversations, God, I wanna reflect you. Lord, help me by your Holy Spirit to walk in gentleness and humility. Jesus, help me to be someone who is submitted and obedient in spirit, not pushing my own agenda and pushing my own way. God, help me to always be ready to do what's good and that the words of my mouth are gonna bring life and not death because the power of life and death is in my words. God, I need your help. But this is what I consecrate myself to live like and who I consecrate myself to be in you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, may this be a year we look back on and say, wow, look at what you did even through us. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna have our prayer team come and today our prayer team may be praying for two groups of people in particular. One, you may really struggle in the area of, man, it's so easy for me to give in to angry talk and to quarrels, picking fights over politics. And you may just say, I need, I need the Holy Spirit's help and strength in this area. The second thing you may want prayer for is this. You may say, wow, when you, when you were reading all those things that describe what life was life before Jesus, I'm still experiencing those now the evil, the darkness, the, the brokenness in my own story. And it's showing them like, I need Jesus. And they would love to talk with you and pray with you about allowing Jesus into your story as you would put your trust in him. He died that you might be forgiven. And he gives his Holy Spirit that you might live this transformed beautiful life that is so different than what we see in the world around us. So let's lean into that. And as you would need prayer, uh, before you leave, come. Women, we have a great event coming up. Make sure you get the flyer and the information on that before you walk out the door. Church, you are loved. Don't just have a great week. Have a great year. Let's lean in to what Jesus is gonna do in us and through us over this next election cycle. Amen? Yes. Amen? Yes. Let's go.